Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, we are coming off of just a wonderful week of vacation Bible school. Did anybody get to be a part of that in here? Quite some hands. If you see Pastor Taylor out there today, he's got uh, multicolored hair, and, and let me tell you what that's about. That's, that's, uh, be, that was kind of his, um, the kids reward Taylor's punishment, I guess is what you might say. There was a goal to raise mission money for a project this fall that we're going to do for underprivileged kids here in our community. And the kids all raised the amount. They reached their goal. And so the result, Taylor had to color his hair today. And so if you see Pastor Taylor out there, um, that's what all that color hair is on him for. Well, hey, we are cruising right along in our study of the book of Acts. And if this is your first time with us, we've been, you know, for a number of weeks now, kind of going section by section through the book of Acts. And so we're glad you're here to join us in that. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today, Acts chapter 8. Eight. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there are plenty of Bibles around you in the seat pockets, and we'd love for you to grab one and follow along with us. And of course, the scriptures will be behind me on the screen. You can find them in the app as well. We just want you to have eyes on the scripture, and it's very, you know, something I'm convicted about very much is that the, there needs to be familiarity with the text, and that the church needs to be able to work their way through scripture and know where things are. And so I always want to encourage you to have your Bibles with you and to follow along. But before we dig into chapter 8, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said right in the opening verses of the book of Acts. He said it just before he ascended into heaven. He said it to his disciples, and it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you look at the screen behind me, it goes like this. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you've been with us from the very beginning, that should be very familiar because we spent quite a bit of time with this one verse, Jesus' prediction here. It's like, hey, before the church ever started, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that they're going to start testifying about him right in the city of Jerusalem. And everything that we have studied up to this point has taken place in the city of Jerusalem. Pentecost happened in Jerusalem. You know, the preaching in the temple courts, that's all in Jerusalem. Christians meeting together from home to home and meeting publicly also in Solomon's colonnade and, and the apostles getting arrested and, and uh, then being miraculously released from jail, being flogged. All of those things happened in Jerusalem. The miracles we've seen so far, the signs and wonders, and these thousands and thousands of people who have come to faith in Christ and have repented of their sins and have become part of the church, all happened in Jerusalem. What else did Jesus say, though, after, right before he ascended into heaven? He said they would also be his witnesses, where? In Judea and Samaria. Now, geographically, this is an area outside of the city of Jerusalem. If you've got maps in the back of your Bible, they should, one of those maps should clearly mark where Judea, the region of Judea and Samaria, are. This is a broader area. It also um, encompasses a larger non-Jewish population. Primarily, the church was first started in Jerusalem, and it was targeting the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And then these outer areas get more into non-Jewish people. In other words, the church would be born in Jerusalem. But Jesus said on day one, it's never meant to stay in Jerusalem. No, the message of Jesus Christ will expand. And we've seen it all throughout time. There's an expanding nature, a going out of the good news of Jesus Christ. And eventually, what did Jesus say? You will also be my witnesses to the ends 
of the earth, as far as you can take it. Now, I just want to focus, I want to, I want to point out one thing to you and remind you of something because it relates to Acts chapter 8. What does Jesus' prediction about witnessing first in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, then to the, in the earth, what does that prediction tell us about God's vision for people? It should send to us a very clear message that what? Jesus is for everybody. That when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and he rose to life three days later, that wasn't just for one specific group of people. No, that is for everyone. Heaven is made available for everyone. Forgiveness of sins for everyone. Redemption, new life for everyone. And the reason I want to remind you of that is because in Acts chapter 8, that we're going to look at today, Jesus' words are about to be fulfilled. Starting in Jerusalem, and then it's going to move out. That moving out begins in Acts chapter 8. It's going to move outside of the city of Jerusalem. And kind of the way I say it is, the good news of Jesus is about to hit the road. Do you remember why? Do you remember why it had to hit the road? Because of one man's death. Stephen. Stephen was the very first Christian to be put to death for his faith in Jesus. And we read about that last week in Acts chapter 7. And what happened on the day he died? Well, Acts chapter 8 verse 1 tells us. Look at it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout where? Judea? And Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Saul, who we were first met last week in Scripture, he would be the tip of the spear leading this hate filled persecution towards Christians. He went house to house, dragging off men and women, throwing them in prison. Why did he go house to house? Because the church in these days were primarily meeting in people's homes. He was hunting down Christians. This was a very real, this was a very targeted persecution of anybody claiming Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the result of this persecution was what? The church was scattered. Many of them fled the city to avoid this persecution. There's no indication in Scripture that there was a mass exodus of faith. We don't read that at all. No, there was just a mass exodus of the city. They maintained their faith. They didn't abandon it. They fled for their lives. They went to save for territories in Judea and Samaria. And you know, as I think about this, we are somewhat removed from this kind of fleeing. We don't have to do that here in the United States. But I am reminded, and I have been trying to remind you these last few weeks, that that there are Christians, millions, all over the world that are living under this same constant threat. Even this house-to-house -house threat. Gathering in secret to worship the Lord with the constant threat that somebody could barge in at any moment and have them arrested. We, we're seeing right now in the world that there are some places where Christians are fleeing entire cities and entire regions that used to be very tolerant of Christianity or very Christian areas themselves, but have come under serious persecution 
and they're fleeing for their lives. I think we always need to have our minds and always reserve some of our prayers for our brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering in this same way. But Christians fleeing for safety in Acts chapter 8, on the surface, that seems like a very tragic thing for this young church. Will they survive this kind of persecution? The whole point of it was to squash this new movement of Christ followers. And on the surface, we would say, whew, this is a very dangerous thing for the church. But what you're going to see in Acts chapter 8 is that it's actually a catalyst this persecution is going to spark the beginning of the gospel spreading beyond the city of Jerusalem exactly how Jesus predicted. Warren Wearsby is a pastor and a Christian commentator, and I love what he says about persecution. He says, persecution does to the church what wind does to seed. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. That's exactly what we're going to see the beginnings of in Acts chapter 8. Scattering the church, which results in a greater harvest. That's what this persecution does. And in Acts chapter 8, we're also introduced to another Christian who very much like Stephen was, was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and was able to do mighty things in the name of the Lord. Let's look at verse 4, and I want to tell you about Philip this morning. It says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip, and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Now Philip, where in the world did Philip come from? He's not one of the 12 apostles. If you remember at the very beginning of Acts chapter 7, there was a list of men that were named. One of them was Stephen, and there was another man named Philip. Now, now back a chapter or two ago, it was just, just a name. But now we learn a little bit more like him, just like we did Stephen. Philip was a part of that group, along with Stephen, who was charged with taking care of the widows in the church, making sure they did not get overlooked for food. And he was part of that special group that the 12 apostles laid their hands on and commissioned and equipped them for this very special ministry in the church. And just like Stephen, he was able to also perform signs and wonders. And, and he went from, from taking care of widows into the church to becoming a mighty evangelist for Jesus Christ. So when this persecution broke out, Philip, like many, they left. They scattered. But he, just like many others, talked about Jesus wherever they went. He ended up in a city in Samaria, and he preached. He talked about Jesus. And the result of that preaching was that they were freed from their sins. They were freed from, from we get a little clue here, demonic oppression. Demons were driven out of people. And as a result, what happened? Joy. There, the Bible calls it a great joy throughout the entire city and I look at that I'm like of course there was joy why wouldn't there be great joy I mean they were delivered from sins demonic control and they were given a new hope and a new future and man there's great joy comes with that 
I don't know if you know this or not, but the New Testament is chocked full all throughout it of what I would just call joy talk. Did you know that? There's joy talk all throughout the New Testament. Acts chapter 8 is a great example of this joy talk. There was great joy throughout the city. Can you think of some other examples off the top of your head about joy talk in the New Testament? How about the time when we read about the angel of the Lord appearing before the shepherds who were watching their flocks at night to announce that the Messiah had been born? And do you remember what this angel said to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. Today I bring you great good news that will cause great, what, joy for all people. There are these movements of God and the activities of God in people's lives that tend to always result in joy. Jesus said to his disciples one time in Luke 15, he said, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over what? One sinner who repents of their sins. There's great rejoicing. There's joy when God moves swiftly through people's lives and great change and things happen. There's joy as the result. You know, right after Jesus gave the disciples the great commission to go make disciples of all nations and baptize and teach, and he ascended into heaven, Luke tells us at the very end of his gospel, in Luke chapter 24, at the very end, that after that happened, the disciples worshiped the Lord, and they returned to Jerusalem, and Luke gives us this little description. They returned with great joy. The movements of God in people's lives. And what I mean is like when there is repentance, when there is changed hearts and new directions in our lives, when there's restoration, when there's new beginnings, when there is new hope, new future in front of people, these are all things that result in great joy. And it's joy that any of us who have come to know Jesus has experienced at least that one time, these movements of God through our lives. Every time that we witness a baptism here at New Life, and for those of you who don't know, there's a big baptistry right behind that middle screen. And when we have baptisms here, that middle screen goes up, and we get to witness that. In fact, there will be some next service. If you guys want to stick around, it'll be right at the beginning of next service. But every time we witness a baptism here at New Life, isn't that like a shot of joy through the veins of our church family? Because joy is the result of movements of God. And that is what is happening in Samaria. That's what's happening with Philip's preaching. The Holy Spirit was with him. People were being saved and healed. And Satan was being pushed away. And there was great joy. Now what I see about Philip that I think is is really neat. And I think has implications for us today. Is Philip to me is one of the great what I'll call bridge builders in the Bible. He's a bridge builder. He's bringing one community to another, and they're being bound together by one common denominator, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, something that's very difficult for us here in the 21st century is to fully understand all the cultural diversity that we read about in the scriptures. It's hard for, there's a divide of time and there's a divide of cultures to really understand some of the little nuances between, between people, but Philip going to Samaria and building a bridge with the gospel is is quite a magnificent thing. 
Here's why, and I'm going to try to help you understand this. Philip was a Jewish man who became a follower of Jesus Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he left Jerusalem and he went to a city in Samaria. Samaria is full of what? Samaritans. It's not a trick question, it's just, it's just what it is. Samaria is full of Samaritans. Now a Samaritan is somebody who wasn't really a Jew and wasn't really a Gentile. That means somewhere in their family tree, there's been a blending of Jews and Gentiles, and the result was a, a what the Bible calls a half-breed. And so the, the Jews didn't like them, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. They're kind of natural enemies. And we see this racial and cultural tension all throughout the New Testament between Jews and Samaritans. And let me point out a couple really famous examples in Scripture to kind of point this to you. You remember in our study of the Gospel of John, back in John chapter 4, Jesus uh, had stopped from his traveling to get a drink of water from this well. He was all alone, and there was a woman there. We call her in the Bible the woman at the well. We really believe in simple titles, okay? The woman at the well. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, and that conversation surprises her. Do you remember her reasoning? She said, well, I don't know why you're even talking to me. Why? Because she said, I'm a woman. And culturally, there were some, some barriers there that men and women just didn't talk much in public. So she was surprised about it. But then she says this, and the fact that I am a Samaritan woman. And she acknowledges verbally to Jesus, she's like affirming what they already know, because, you know, Jews and Samaritans, they just don't have much to do with each other. That's the one thing I love about Jesus. He really didn't care about cultural norms or racial problems. He just saw people. But there was this cultural racial tension between Jews and Samaritans, and we see that in John 4. We see it here in Acts 8. Who remembers the, the parable that Jesus told that we later call the parable of the good Samaritan? Remember that one? about a Jewish man who was beat up, left for dead, and a Samaritan man came and had pity on him, bandaged his wounds, took care of him, paid for his care. Jesus was making the point, what is a neighbor and who is a neighbor? Jesus like, I don't care about the color of your skin or what you, language you speak or where you come from or, or who your parents were. That has nothing to do with loving one another, and he was trying to make that point. But everybody was shocked that Jesus, a Jewish man, would make a Samaritan the hero of the story. Acts chapter 8 is a great example of how God, in his grace, using Philip to build a bridge between two naturally estranged peoples, and they made them one in Jesus Christ. Two groups, common denominator, Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you this and just give you a little preview um, in the future, in the next few chapters, you're going to see Jewish people, Samaritan people, and Gentile people all coming to know Jesus Christ. And the apostles have got an issue on their hands. How are we going to um, help these culturally diverse people who don't naturally like each other but are all falling in love with Jesus, how do we get them to go to church together? When we get to Acts chapter 15, it's all dealing with that one singular issue. How are we going to be one church when we're all so stinking different? Oh, I can't wait till we get to Acts chapter 15. Maybe some of you want to read ahead. That'd be good. 
But here you have these men and women who, who, who Philip went to preach to, who had to be challenged about their ancient prejudices. And I think for us today, it, it's, a great, it's a great teaching moment that this kind of thing still exists. And I believe that, that God is raising up, and maybe right here even in our church family, a whole bunch of new Philips. Phillips who will become bridge builders. And, and some bridge builders, they cross oceans to build those bridges. And other bridge builders, they cross hallways at work to build those bridges. Je Jesus just said it simply like this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Friends, I don't know if you look around our community getting more and more diverse all the time we live in a day and age you don't have to cross an ocean to reach a different people group you may just have to walk across the parking lot it's interesting days we live in now the next few verses verses 9 through 25 i'm going to encourage you to read those on your own not because they're not important enough to talk about here but i want to give you a complete view of philip's story and i want to get towards the end of it here but i want you to read verses 9 through 25 all on your own and what you're going to find there is that as philip is preaching in these cities samaria he comes across a guy named simon now simon's kind of famous in that area he's famous as a sorcerer and he can also do signs and wonders, and he has also kind of amassed a following. Well, when Philip comes to town, and he sees Philip doing these signs and wonders and demons being driven out, he jumps on that bandwagon. He says, I want to be a part of that too. And he gets baptized, and, and he follows this group. Well, as you follow his story later, Peter and John come to that city, and Simon has a confrontation with Peter and John. You know what that confrontation was about? He showed his true colors. He offered Peter and John money, and he said, let me buy the Holy Spirit's power. Well, I'll let you read all about that on your own, and how Peter and John absolutely shut him down. What I'd like for you to do now, jump to verse 26, because I want to conclude Philip's story and, and, and what we learn about him in, in the New Testament. It says in verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met a, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandeg, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Here in this last few details that we know about Philip, you're going to see again another, just, he's just a bridge builder. Angel of the Lord said, Philip, I want you to go. We don't have any more details than that. We don't know why God decided to send a messenger this time to Philip to deliver this message. But it was a direct message from God through an angel. And this angel told Philip, I want you to get on the road going south and I want you to go. There would be no confusion over what this road was. This was a, a famous road. It was a major trade highway back in this day and age. And it connected cities like Caesarea and Joppa and Gaza. This is the desert road. This this. This is the road. He would have known it well. There's, it's not like Philip would have been like, let me get out my iPhone and check the GPS. Was that this road? No, none of that. There weren't all that many roads. He just says go. And Philip goes immediately. Scripture doesn't seem to indicate that Philip knew why 
he was supposed to go or what he was going to be doing on this road. He just goes. And I don't want to get too far off on a tangent here, but I think there is a real lesson in this for us today. I, I preached a, a sermon series here a while back called Jump, and I dealt with this very issue of like when God says go, when God says jump, where's our level of trust and where's our level of faith where we're just going to follow God and we don't have to have all the answers. We're just going to trust him and we're just going to go for it. We're just going to jump after what God tells us to do. That's what I think is happening here. God said, Philip, go. Philip jumped. He's just going to trust God with that landing. So he goes. Now, we learn that as he's going along the way, it starts to become a little clearer as to what he's supposed to be doing there. He meets a man described as an Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know a lot about him, but he has a very important job in his government, and the title that he has, Ethiopian eunuch, let me just say, he's 100% committed to his job. Let me just say that. Most likely... Ethiopia is not referring to the same country we think of today. Most Bible scholars believe that his area where he was coming from, somewhere in northern Africa along the Nile River is the best they can discern. We just don't have a lot of details about this person. Look at verse 27. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot. Most likely there's a caravan of chariots. Remember, he's a very important person. He's sitting in his chariot. And what is he doing there? He is reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So he's kind of getting details as they're being revealed to him. And, and so we learn a few things. This man is on, was, had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So in other words, he's not a Christian, but he's not ignorant of the things of God either. He had a specific purpose for going to Jerusalem. There was something most likely connected to the temple. Was he a convert to Judaism? Was he a curious seeker? Was he a believer in God but didn't have any details? We're not sure. But he specifically went to Jerusalem to worship, and now he is on his way home when he has this encounter with Philip. Spirit says, go stand next to his chariot. So you should get the impression that there's this caravan of chariots. Philip is just, I don't know if he's jogging. I don't know if he's, it would be undignified for a man to run in that day and age. But he hurries along and he just starts walking next to the chariot. This is the image we get. It says in verse 30, Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. So in other words, Philip felt comfortable, comfortable enough to be like, Knock, knock, knock. Do you get it? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So you kind of get the impression. They keep traveling along. Philip's walking. I hear you reading the scripture. Do you understand? How can I? And I need somebody to explain it to me. Can you help me? Sure. Come on up. And they're just traveling down the road having a conversation. This is the passage of Scripture, verse 32, that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. Does those words sound familiar? It's a prophecy about Jesus. 
So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Friends, have you ever had an experience where you're having a conversation with somebody and they lay it out and open the door so wide open to talk about Jesus? You have to start talking. This, this Ethiopian man laid it out and said, tell me about Jesus. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And I love that. This man had scripture in his possession. Was he bringing it home from Jerusalem? Did he go there and buy scrolls? Did he order? I mean, somehow he had scripture in his possession, and he had some scripture from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, you know, it's the same book of Isaiah that you have in your Old Testament scriptures today. You can open up to the very thing he was reading in that chariot all those years ago. It's Isaiah 53. Verse 7 and 8. That's the specific reference that Philip started with. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip said. Tell me more, was the Ethiopian's response. And from that very text, Philip taught him about Jesus. From that prophecy. I would have loved, I don't know about you, I would have loved to have been in the backseat of that chariot for that conversation, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have loved to just listen in? of how Philip began to teach from that very text from Isaiah, this prophecy about Jesus. I would imagine that Philip went on to tell him how Jesus came from the Lord and how he was, pro it was all prophesied just like Isaiah was and others, how Jesus was born in Bethlehem, how he grew up to preach about the kingdom of God, how he had compassion and love for people, and how he healed many afflictions and he performed great miracles. I'd have loved to have been in the back seat and heard the part, especially when Philip said he had to suffer and die on a cross. And everybody was sad about this. But then he was placed in a tomb. Three days later, he raised a life, defeating death, great victory over the penalty of sin, thwarting the plans of the devil, his eternal plans all unraveled in that moment. And salvation was the result. And then Jesus ascended into heaven, but he gave back to us the Holy Spirit who lives in us and is with us every step of our lives. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit that told me to come and start this conversation with you today. There's no doubt that in that chariot ride, Philip told him that you've got to believe in Jesus. Told him about all those in Jerusalem who have come to repentance and faith and they put their trust in Jesus, repented of their sins and, and were baptized, united with him that way and all the things that were happening in the church. And it's obvious the message got through because if you look at verse 36, it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. The, the man got the message. 
He became a believer right there on that desert road, sitting in the front seat of a chariot. And he said, there's water. I want to be a Christian. Let me get baptized. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again. I mean, this is another one of those beam me up Scotty moments in the Bible. He just came with water and he was just gone. But the eunuch went on his way. What's that word? Rejoicing. Because movements of God in people's life result in what? Joy. The presence of God in our lives results in joy. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. There will be a reference to Philip later in the book of Acts in Caesarea, years later, still preaching the gospel. So the persecution that broke out against Christians in Jerusalem was the catalyst for the advancement of the gospel. And what I want you to see today, what I want our church to see, is that what started out as pain and suffering and a very difficult situation resulted in great joy for the Samaritans, great joy for this man from Ethiopia. And I'm reminded, difficult things are often God's vehicle for great joy. Difficult things are often God's vehicle for great joy. What a testimony for us today. Don't be afraid of hard things. God might be using it to advance his purposes. And don't be afraid of bridge-building endeavors for the Lord. You know, the advancement of the gospel, it's rarely easy. But boy, it produces great joy. The good news of Jesus Christ is truly the only truth that can unite people. What else is there in all the world that we could ever be involved in that would cause all of heaven to rejoice? There isn't, except the things of God. And I hope that's a great encouragement to us today. As we go about our lives and think through some of the challenges that we have and what God may be doing through those things and, and just the advancement of the gospel. What a great opportunity to be a part of things that causes all of heaven to rejoice.